the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. I recently had a friend of mine ask me if I knew anything about a relatively new church on the peninsula called Vive Church. And I thought for a moment, Vive Church, hmm. The more I pondered, the more I struggled with trying to place who it was that they were talking about. And then suddenly I realized they didn't mean Vive Church, they meant Vive Church. But it's an interesting irony, because in the Italian, Vive means lives. And certainly when we talk about the church today, the necessity to share, live out, demonstrate a faith that is alive because we serve a savior that is alive is so critically important to a lost and dying world. And so perhaps the mispronunciation of the church name, while clearly an error, maybe not so. Joining me now is the founding pastor of Vive Church, Vive Church in Mountain View, Pastor Adam Smallcomb. And Pastor Adam, great to have you with us. Do you get that much? Do you do you run into cases where people mispronounce uh, but but do so actually to to the benefit of sort of describing what the church is all about. Uh, honestly, pronunciation is everything. As you can hear, my accent is Australian, so pronunciation is something I struggle with myself. Um, but honestly, it's good to be here again. And yes, we do get that. Then uh, that leads me to my opening question here today. What's a nice Australian like you doing in a place like this? Tell us a bit about your your spiritual journey and, and specifically, why do you feel God put California and specifically Silicon Valley on your heart? Give us some of the background, a bit of the, the trajectory of this journey of yours. Sure. I mean, it's been a 10-year journey so far. It was uh, just over a decade ago. We just celebrated 10 years last year. I think we were talking uh, around that time. And uh, 10 years now in the Bay Area, we moved out, my wife and I, from Sydney, Australia, came over to start the church in the Silicon Valley, really uh, authentically at the the call of, of God, Holy Spirit put on our hearts. We were youth pastors at the time in uh, in a place called Newcastle, and uh, we were looking to start a church somewhere in Sydney, beautiful beaches where had some great coffee and great weather, great living really. But uh, something stirred me, and you got to understand this is this is kind of really on the cusp of social media, uh, 2012, where we were still fairly new to things like Instagram. So uh, I had heard about the Silicon Valley and I had funnily enough Googled about the Silicon Valley to find out that this is where Google comes from. And really my conviction from the Holy Spirit was that this is the center of the world. You know, reading about Paul and how Paul had gone to Rome, he desired to go to Rome, knowing how effective Rome was in setting the culture for the for the well, what we call the ancient world, but the modern world of that day. The Silicon Valley was my conviction is the center of the modern world, dictating culture, policy, products, that if we could be effective in planning a church, the Silicon Valley would have had to be the most strategic place to start the church and have a global impact. So 
we uh we moved over we sold everything old school missionary style we no one would fund us funny enough you know the idea of being a missionary to america was absurd to people uh so no one would fund us but we uh we just sold everything we had we moved here by faith and that was 10 years ago now and uh, 11 locations since god has been moving pretty i would say rapidly where it's been a, a fun and wild journey well, you know, as uh, Scripture reminds us, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And there certainly is uh, plenty of sin to go around here in the San Francisco Bay Area. But I think you're right. I mean, in, in terms of the not only the cultural impact, you know, it, it's often been said that as California goes, so goes the nation. As the nation goes, so goes the world. And kind of the epicenter of certainly technology and to a great degree culture has been the San Francisco Bay Area. So in terms of wanting to reach the world, my goodness, all one need do is open their front door, and there it is. I mean, God has literally deposited every tribe, every nation, every tongue right here in the San Francisco Bay Area. But I'm curious, you mentioned that you couldn't find anyone that really had a sense of wanting to support you initially, uh, largely, I suppose, in the sense of maybe the, the, the false impression that, well, the United States, they, they send missionaries. They don't have a need for missionaries. And so when you... Right, it's a combination of that. Indeed. So when, when you first came here, uh, first impressions in terms of not only the, 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 the enormity, perhaps, of the need, but the challenge of the, uh, of the task... Yeah, I think it was both end. I think it was the the concept for people in Australia. I mean, we see, you know, as an Australian, America is the big brother. America pioneers. America has sent out missionaries for years. It's where the training schools come from. It's really the formation of the church in the Western world. And, and in many ways, we, we take our cues from the United States only to, you know, have a call from God to go and be a missionary to the place where missionaries are sent from was probably a bit of a paradigm shift for people to understand. Maybe that too, and the concept of starting a church in California seemed a little bit luxurious. Little did people know that I'd actually researched not just about the Silicon Valley and its impact on the world, but the fact that at that time, the stat was that the Bay Area was 98% unchurched. That concept of seeing America as unchurched was very foreign for people. Uh, and so, you know, really it's been one of those those double-edged swords, right, where it is such a region of possibility and impact, but such a, a region of need spiritually. And that combination is really what drew us to start the church here in the first place. Now, of course, to address that need in a sufficient and efficient way, I think one needs to perhaps understand a bit of the, the genesis of this trajectory, meaning the paradigm shift from what had been, particularly we'll talk about the Bay Area. <clears throat> had been a region right. that was well-churched. There are still many older communities in parts of Oakland, San Jose, San Francisco that have churches that date back easily a century or more. Why, why do you think there has been sort of this slow march away from traditional Christianity? And, 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 I, and I mean to add intentionally the notion that I don't think it's suggestive that there's a waning of interest in things spiritual, perhaps a bit of a shift, however, in where people go to find the source of um, uh, spiritual satisfaction, albeit perhaps falsely so. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's a beautiful question and a, a beautiful observation of really where faith is in society at large, not just in the Bay Area, but across the nation and, dare I say, across the world, something that we're confronted with all the time as ministers. Our job is certainly to find a way to communicate this timeless message with a methodology that reaches where people are. And when we fail to do that, a message that is life-giving really becomes redundant to people because we didn't actually reinvent or discover a new tactic or a new way, which is our job. Our job as communicators, you know, anytime you communicate, your job is not just to give a sentence. You're meant to actually find out how does that sentence resonate with somebody and you're getting real-time feedback, right? So I think what I've seen in even post-pandemic, those churches that have maybe stuck to their same traditional series that they did pre-pandemic or the same, you know, teaching that they did and didn't reinvent for the new world uh, really have missed the opportunity that is presented right before us where there actually is an appetite, but it's not for the same old thing. There's a new appetite for what I would consider is a more authentic, real dialogue about Jesus. It strikes me, Paul himself talked about, I'm all things to all men that I might win some. That notion of flexibility, adaptability, that again, while the message at the core is, is timeless and unchanging, but how we present it and the, and the fashion in which we engage those needs to be flexible because the audience is going to change as much as the times always change. My guest today is Adam Smalcombe, founding pastor of Vive Church of Mountain View. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our discussion right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the founding and senior pastor of Vive Church of Mountain View, Pastor Adam Smalcombe. Pastor Smalcombe, let's go back to what we were discussing just prior to the break. The one thing that kind of disappointed me during the peak of the pandemic is I thought, you know, in my lifetime, there has never been an opportunity where we've had so many people simultaneously pondering their own mortality and confronting all of these news stories of of literally well over a million Americans over the course of the worst part of the pandemic who succumbed to the disease. And we had everyone from the older to the younger questioning. And yet I thought the loudest voice that should be there with an answer for the hope that lies within is the church. They're calling. Yes. And to a great degree, we failed to answer. Yes, absolutely. Uh, No doubt about that. What the pandemic was, let's get straight down to brass taxes. It was an apocalyptic event in our lifetime. It, It had... This thought, uh, at first, I think it was just cute and convenient, you know, to be working at home from your sweatpants, you know, and not having to change all day. But that really got old quickly when you realize that my way of life was restricted. And the thought, is this what life is going to look like? What it actually produced was I don't have time to waste on just life enhancement. I need something that's real life, light or darkness. And there is an opportunity where people are hungry 
to know what's authentic, to know what's real. This was our moment and still is, I believe, our moment to preach life, to to really get back to, I guess, theology. This is a moment to, to teach doctrine, theology, fundamentals of faith. Because people are looking probably less for just, uh, you know, some of the nice things that we have in series at times in churches, uh, you know, connecting concepts, maybe church, the movies or something like that. But what if we just do some some go through the epistles? Let's go through the character of Jesus. Let's get people in connection with discipleship, walking life out in relationship with the saints and and ultimately bring some fundamentals of faith. That's what people are hungry for. The one thing that I've repeatedly heard from believers that have been involved in the church for their entire lifetime in some cases is the genuine desire for true vertical worship. Because sadly, I think we've been through a period here where it's been very horizontal, meaning that we're really playing to each other and not playing to him. And so it's been about the better entertainment, the better lighting, the better staging. It seems like we're putting on a Hollywood, you know, musical review and, and less so about the focus on him. So I've heard that, number one, the desire for genuine vertical worship. And then secondarily, people wanting to walk away with some meat on the bone when they leave church on Sunday morning. So often, I think there's been kind of this this trend toward uh, snappy platitudes and things that uh, uh, people will feel good about, almost as if they're attending an Anthony Robbins success seminar, uh, which, you know, is readily available even online. If you're going to go to church, you really want to walk away with, what are some insights that I can apply to my life in real-world circumstances and the pain and issues that I'm dealing with confronting every single single day and kind of get into the meat of the word. And I think, sadly, there has been sort of this propensity to say, let's take the easy way out, because after all, it's really about the numbers. And I think as we focus on the quantity, sadly, what has suffered the most has been the quality. Right. You know, I, I, I completely agree with you. You see, when we talk about the lights and the LED screens, I think I'm a big proponent of this as an enhancement not a replacement. You know, if you're relying on lighting or a, or a piece of technology or an LED screen, that that's going to be attractive. And it may be attractive, but it's definitely not going to keep people or feed them. It, it is a beautiful expression of creativity. I believe God deserves our best. And so I'm all for releasing people who are technically gifted, who are creative. Man, there are people way more creative than me. And giving them a platform to worship God with lighting, audio, and instruments, that just enhances uh, the worship experience. But it cannot replace a core message of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And ultimately, what God allows us to do is in our creatively, creativity, how can we creatively worship him to the best of our ability? Not just saying, oh, let's not do that because it's it's redundant. It's not redundant, but it shouldn't be replacing our core message. And I think the beauty of what we get to do in a in, in the region that we're in, in the Bay Area, is we get to do both. We get to think creatively of ways to represent this gospel message that you said is timeless and that is beautiful, but we get to do it in a way that really reaches people from all walks of life. So these become 
tools, not substitutes. Right. In, in other words, you know, I think nobody in in with any degree of sincerity would argue. Well, you know, when Christ was on Earth and he preached, he he didn't have a wireless microphone. There weren't PA speakers. <laughs> so let's remove all of that from the church. I, I don't think anybody in their right mind would make that argument. However, I think what you're suggesting is there has been a bit of a drift towards using the technology, so to speak, as a substitute, as opposed to an enhancement or a means of of increasing the the efficiency with which we are able to convey the message, because at the core, it's not the method of communication, it's the message that we're communicating that really is life-changing and life-saving. Correct. I mean, if we want to go real authentic, uh, Jesus didn't have air conditioning in his day either. So let's turn off all the heating. And the, no, I, I think it gets a little bit ridiculous when you you feel like they're the things distracting. They should be enhancing. They should, you know, be really communicating the message, not being the message. And um, that's a danger for sure. It is a danger. It's a danger of getting lost in all of the the smoke, so to speak, and uh, missing the authenticity of what we're doing here. We're here to glorify God. And uh, I think, honestly, there is such a move of God happening across the world. There is there is a sense. I'm talking to pastors all the time. Uh, mentor a lot of pastors and get to be in relationship with a lot of pastors and collectively there is a a sense that god is moving what we're seeing in asbury what we're seeing in college campuses this hunger and this appetite for revival it's no surprise that post-pandemic that and during an economical crisis that we're in that there is a hunger for things that are real and authentic and uh genuine and i think those appetites need to be fostered by the church and we need to be able to give answers in this season for what people are looking for especially in the lead up to easter i mean we're weeks away from the easter season and so the way that we're gearing things at vive church is we're going to go big we're going big on you know palm sunday good friday resurrection sunday we're going to go all out to make sure that yeah we use obviously the lights and the different ways to communicate to engage with someone's loved one who has no interest at all in church. But something about that creative message may peak and get some insight into the fact that there is a God that loves them and has a calling for their life. And that may be just the start of their journey going deeper into relationship with Jesus. You use the word authenticity, and I think that's so critically important, too, because the one thing that we're surrounded with, be it in the entertainment realm or certainly Internet and social media, is the inauthentic. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about AI and about deep fakes, and and now we're beginning to question everything because the lines between what is false and what is authentic are being blurred. Ironically, though, this is not new. You know, Scripture says there's nothing new under the sun. Again, the the methodology, the technology may be different, but that line between the authentic and the inauthentic goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden and that initial interaction that Adam and Eve had with the enemy of our soul. And so I'm wondering from the perspective of the effectiveness of the church delivering the message, and when I say the church, I don't mean the building or the, the organism. I mean believers, the body of Christ, the effectiveness of delivering the message. Does much of that really pivot on each of us living an authentic life, displaying that authentic life in front of others so that we might impress them and reach them for Christ? Absolutely. I don't think you can have authenticity in a vacuum. 
I think it has to happen against the backdrop of real life. So everything we do, even Jesus, Jesus was the master of authenticity because he spoke in parables with real life illustrations, real life application. The idea of authenticity is I'm not preaching this in a vacuum scenario, meaning I'm not just saying one. I'm not just speaking with words. I'm showing it in deed as well. And so it would be it would be redundant of me as a pastor and a leader to preach about the goodness of God, mercy, just peace, and yet not have an action of that ministry outworking in our church. And so it's really combining the two that if we're going to speak it, we're going to do it. We're going to have actions that match our world. That's why we have the Hope Hanger. The Hope Hanger is our food pantry, our homeless feeding resource. Uh, we're, we're actually got square footage dedicated to reaching our community while we're teaching the word of life. And it's those dual-handed approach that actually creates an authentic message, not just something preached from a mountaintop that has no application in the city. So the church then is not something that we do. It's rather something that we are. In other words, there are, I think, a good percentage of believers that the experience on Sunday, we get up, we go to church because that's what we do. And then we go back to living our lives, the balance of Sunday and in through the following Saturday night until we repeat that process all over again. And I think that the world is watching that and saying, you know, what I'm seeing here doesn't seem to be very authentic. What I'm seeing here seems to collapse when the pressures of life come to bear. What I'm seeing here seems to be more action oriented as opposed to life oriented and and by that i mean and certainly you know our 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 actions should follow should mimic should be led by our faith but i think sadly it's more about what we do in the the sunday show and not how we live it out the rest of the week and the irony is the time when the world is really watching is not 11 a.m sunday it's the rest of the week (laughs) you're exactly right i find myself telling new guests that I meet uh, all the time. I, I like to warn them. I'm not sure if you're going to like it here uh, because we we call people to missional living. We're not just calling people to a convenient, attractive service that you get to you know tick the box on a Sunday. We're going to be a little bit aggressive in, in the fact that we believe every believer is called to live missionally, live, called to live beyond themselves, to serve in some capacity, whether they're serving in a setting on a Sunday or they're volunteering in an outreach program. We're meant to live missionally, and uh, that's that takes the convenience out of church life. It's a calling. It's got to be a conviction. And so we're not looking just to build uh, attendances. We're looking to build true followers of Jesus who serve like him. Jesus said it this way, I came to serve, not be served. That right there is the indicator of what we're meant to look like if we want to look like Jesus, that I've got to live missionally. I got to come and give my gifts. I got to give of my talents. I got to give of my time, and just a cute Sunday service doesn't tick the box. I believe in what Jesus's expectation is of our life. My guest today is Adam Smalcom, founding pastor of Vive Church of Mountain View. We'll take a brief time out. Come back to more of our discussion right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the founding and senior pastor of Vive Church of Mountain View, Pastor Adam Smalcom. Pastor Adam, I want to pick things up where we left off just prior to the break. 
Now, at least some feel overwhelmed by that sense of, oh, my goodness, Pastor, what are you saying? I mean, that, that means that I got to go out and everybody that I meet, I got to tell them about Jesus. And I, I, I'm not equipped. I don't, I, don't, I don't memorize scripture well. I haven't been a believer that all that long. What if they ask me a question that I can't answer, that I'm ill-prepared for? Oh, no, no, no. Better off that I just kind of slink into the background. Some people, I think, use that as a false pretense for for keeping a very enclosed faith, you know, that notion that, well, I don't like to force my beliefs on others, uh, that sort of thing, which to me is generally a, a an outward sign that there is some extreme insecurity, not only in their ability to share their faith, but quite frankly, I think at the core, extreme insecurity as to what their faith is, because it Again, perhaps it's yes. based on the experiential on Sundays and not about a, a, a living, vibrant relationship that is as real as our relationship might be with our spouse. Absolutely. I think most fear comes around never having done it before and you're afraid of the unknown. You know, if you've ever traveled, you know, maybe you've traveled to Europe, let's say Italy, and uh, you learn a few words of Italian. Every time you meet someone who's Italian, you want to fire off every piece of Italian that you know. You have this confidence and this bravado all of a sudden to speak the little bit of Italian you know with, with proud boldness, right? I think it's the same way with evangelism of things of faith. If you just start to put a few things into practice, you'll find a proficiency that you never knew you had. But it's the unknown. And that our job, I think, is to get people trained up, obviously equipped, watch as that actually goes to work and then you get a bit of a momentum behind you in this area you know it strikes me if we think about the disciples and and i've often joked you know if if any of them were applying to the pulpit committee for a position of senior pastor i, I think likely most of them once the committee reviewed the resume it would be reject 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 none of them were really <laughs> equipped and man i i i can imagine those that were in jesus's uh, you know intimate circle at the very beginning probably thought to themselves what is he doing this group Right. None of them were really prepared. And yet, isn't it fascinating that all of us today stand on the sort of the spiritual legacy, the soldiers, the soldiers, uh, shoulders, rather, the soldiers, English, <laughs> the shoulders of yep. those disciples <laughs> who disseminated the message and lives and breathes to this very day. And I think the distinction is, it isn't that they knew everything. It isn't that they were the greatest equipped. In fact, there were some, you think about a guy like Paul, my goodness, who, who you know, arguably wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and yet was one of the biggest enemies of the church to begin with in his role as Saul. And yet yes. I think the, the distinction is that they were successful to this very day not because they were necessarily brilliant orators or, or uh, great theologians, but simply because they conveyed the message because they knew him. And I wonder if maybe that's the yes. important distinction for us today. It isn't that we've memorized scripture and we can be a tremendous apologist like a Walter Martin, but rather, if we know him... We can convey who he is to those around us in a far more effective way. And then I believe in doing so, watch what God does. Amen. 
Amen. I, I honestly love every time we talk because you have a way of articulating the heartbeat of what we are called to do. And even when we talk about Paul, Paul knew Jesus. He spent three years with the Holy Spirit, you know, in the in the wilderness, in the desert of Arabia, just getting him and Jesus. And then what we find is Paul carried a conviction that produced his confidence in Christ Jesus. When we have a conviction that comes out of that relationship, confidence isn't the question. So if someone is lacking confidence, let's go back to your relationship. Do you know Christ? Is Christ in you? And this is ultimately where confidence comes from. It's not even from proficiency. It's not from oratory skills. It comes out of authenticity of knowing Jesus. And uh, I'm sure you can talk about your friends because you know your friends. You could talk about what they like, they dislike. We have confidence to talk about Jesus when we know him. And uh, that's our job as pastors, ministers in the church. Let's introduce people to Jesus. Let's get them to know. This is why we're going to preach the gospel, because the gospels talk about Jesus. And once you know Jesus, you actually begin to know you. Now, we started the conversation talking about your calling to the San Francisco Bay Area and the realization that uh, you were not necessarily going to be coming to a part of the world that was filled with fertile soil. Uh, However, of course, tremendous need everywhere you turn. I mean, when you look at the per capita church attendance in the San Francisco Bay Area, the lowest of any metropolitan area in the entire country, it certainly denotes the notion that uh, there's tremendous need everywhere, but that doesn't always mean that you're going to be embraced and and welcomed with open arms as you look back now on this experience and since that initial calling what is your evaluation of what god is doing in the san francisco bay area today and and are we being primed we talk about a falling away toward latter days but also a great harvest and scripture yes. also reminds us that the only issue there is that while the fields are ripe unto harvest the laborers are few what is your sense today in terms of of what god may be setting us up for here in the latter days oh i get a deep sense that god is really poised the church ready to be powerful and moving in this season you know you said that there is a decline uh, i guess across what we would call religion or Christianity, and I agree with you, but what we have seen specifically of our church is the complete opposite. We've seen a momentum and a growth in the last several years, even through the the latter stages of the pandemic. We just began to see an incredible momentum, a surge. We bought buildings. We've been able to move into a location. And what we're seeing now is a a rapid uh, growth stage where we're seeing more and more people coming in. And really, I think uh, it's interesting, even in the journey of buying the building uh, and able to acquire a building, we looked for a long time and the city would not open up net new zoning for church spaces. And their their thought around that was, well, churches are closing down. So why would we open up new zones for churches if churches are closing down? Well, I mean, what they couldn't understand is that not every church is the same. And so what we found is we had a hard time convincing them, oh, no, the church is alive and the church is growing and the church needs space. And that's what we've seen. We've definitely seen a a, uh, a catalyzing of faith, a crystallizing of faith, people who are determined more than ever to, in this season, be a witness. And I see it in the everyday. I see it in... Uh, people in 
the tech world who would have previously been hesitant about sharing their faith in the workplace because that would have been controversial. They would have risked their job and now being bold in their faith and not going along with policies that are what I would say anti-Christ. And they're actually standing their ground and holding a deep conviction that in my mind is going to spark revival. And I think that also goes to the heart of what we've been discussing today, and that is that notion that there is there is a hunger and a yearning for authenticity. My guest today is Adam Smalcom, founding pastor of Vive Church of Mountain View. We'll take a brief time out and come back to more of our discussion right after this. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back. We're visiting today with the founding and senior pastor of Vive Church of Mountain View, Pastor Adam Smalcom. Pastor Smalcom, let's go back to what we were discussing just prior to the break. I think some of what we've seen in the decline of organized religion within the within the the sort of the, the, the broader mainstream Christendom has been more of frustration that it doesn't seem to be speaking to my needs, but that yes. doesn't mean that the journey to find authentic faith or uh, a sense of satisfaction as to who I am, what life means, and you know, is there more than just you know eighty years on your earth and then you die? And right. so, I think what you're seeing is people are seeking out the authentic. They may, and fortunately, in some cases, find it in in false religions, Eastern religion. Yes. They may yes. find it in money, power, you know, all, all of the little goodies that the devil tends to sort of dangle in front of us. Uh, right. But at the end of the day, I think people really genuinely want to to fulfill that gap, that that yes. that God shaped hole in their life. They might not yes. be able to articulate it as I strive for a relationship with my Creator. They may not be able to articulate it that way. But you and I know based. Based on scripture at the end of the day, that's really what they're looking for. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for purpose. They're looking for meaning. They're looking for that. That only comes from God. You know, like, what am I here for? And, you know, that's what the last several years have taught us. There's so much superfluousness to not to life that could be taken away from you in a moment. What am I doing in leaving a legacy? What am I doing in establishing who I am and my relationship with God? And uh, I think that's where purpose comes from. So, no, you articulated it very well. I think that authenticity is at the core of what people are looking for in this time. And uh, it's my hope that uh, every pastor, every church in the Bay Area begins to realize that. And we see a complete momentum shift in statistics in the Bay Area. I'm still holding out hope that the Bay Area is not only known for technology, but it's known for a move of God. Well, and, and I think we're poised for just that. Yes. And, you know, w God can use us in a tremendous way because of the way in which the Bay Area has been positioned for not only national influence, but global influence. Let me ask you another question. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective. You know, we, we look at sort of the, the, the DNA of millennials today and Gen Zers, and we understand that there is a growing segment of that population that really wants to leave things better than they found it. A sense of frustration maybe that we baby boomers post-World War II kind of mess things up. I mean, we, 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 have, we have made a mess out of the world politically, certainly in, in terms of the environment, things of this sort. And yet so often I, I, I hear stories that suggest that millennials 
Gen Zers, Gen Xers really want to leave things better than they found it. And oftentimes that plays out through things like, well, let's get in there and clean up the planet. Let's do things for, you know, for others, things of this sort. Is is that an energy that can be harnessed and, and channeled into the church for the greater good? I, you mentioned earlier about uh, food pantries, and I'm just thinking, my goodness, there are so many ways in which we can address felt needs that then yeah. opens up a door of opportunity to address spiritual needs. Ironically, not unlike Christ himself during his ministry, we, we see this evidenced in, in the New Testament, that almost without exception, anytime before he was going to speak to some crowd, whether he fed them or healed them, he always mm-hmm. acknowledged their felt needs before he meant, moved on to then addressing their, their spiritual needs. Yeah, most certainly is my answer. Actually, but I don't think it's limited to the Gen Z or millennials. I think every generation has had that moment and that awakening. Uh, I think even the boomers, we saw this with the Jesus revolution. It was a swing back away from the superfluousness of life and to actually do something of deep conviction and meaning that – you know, but you get to a certain age where the responsibilities of life limit you. So it's the young generation that always have the best opportunity to make maximum impact. And uh, our job is really to provide ways that they can do that. And I think it's that it's that missional living. It's what I keep coming back to. Are we living on mission? And you don't have to lose that just because your flexibility gets limited. You know, with a mortgage, all of a sudden you've got kids and tuition and bills to pay. I don't think you can be you have to be less missional. I think you have to adapt it to the setting that you're in. Uh, but yes, I do agree that Gen Z right now are poised. And uh, our job is to provide them platforms to be able to outwork. See the benefit of maybe the boomers right now is they're the platform makers. They, they might not be the one with all the flexible time and necessarily all the energy pumping through their veins like the Gen Z do, but they have the resources, the wisdom, and it's, really it takes all generations coming together. That's When I talk about diversity in our church, I'm not just talking different ethnicities. I'm talking age demographics. There is such a diversity in the church where we've got grandparents and grandkids and everybody in between, but that's – that's the body of Christ. That's the bride of Christ, that we're leveraging the wisdom, the experience, and the resources of established boomers, and we're, we're cheering on the Gen Z. We're going to do some radical things for Jesus. They're going to get out there, and they're going to mobilize with their spare time in their colleges, start prayer meetings, start marches, start moves of God, that we get to cheer them on. And I think it's recognizing the season that we're in, and how do I be most effective in this season? Yeah, and you referenced the um, the Jesus Revolution that I think is an important reminder for all of us that that is not only a a, a cross cultural, cross economic, but also mm-hmm. cross generational opportunity that we're facing here today, uh, and that yes. the need is all around us. And so, yes. as much as 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 one might say, or Paul to Timothy, say not that you are young. At the same token, we see people that were in their eight hundreds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think yes. of an Abraham who still had an impact and so there's opportunity for all of us we just need to get plugged in and to really legitimately live out our faith in a way in which people look at us and say wow there is something that is genuinely different about you 
tell me what yes. it is. Yes. Pastor, we yes. appreciate your time today. Before we wrap up our conversation, I want to spend a couple of moments. We, we've talked several times about what God has been doing through Vive Church in Mountain View. Just kind of give us a snapshot. Maybe somebody's eavesdropping on our conversation today that's new to the San Francisco Bay Area and says, wow, I really like this guy's style. I want to find out more about his church. Tell us more. Yeah, we've got a brand new building on Leghorn in Mountain View. That's our our, uh, our first campus. We've got about five campuses around the Bay Area, San Jose, San Francisco, Oakland, all the way down in Gilroy. We call that one South Valley. And uh, we, we've now 10 years going, and uh, God is moving in new ways with this new building. We've just finished our remodel. So uh, church is fun right now. We've just been adding services. Uh, this last Sunday, we actually added a brand new service time, 9.30, 11.30. And then once a month, we have a very special service called Vive at Five. It rhymes and it's memorable, but it is really a worship healing service where we're praying for people. We're seeing miracles, testimonies that are literally mind-blowing. As long as I'm doing this, I feel bad when I'm surprised when someone gets miraculously healed because it should be the normal expectation of the faith and the saints, but I'm still profoundly impacted when God does some major miracles. I'm talking about people being healed of cancer and all kinds of crazy testimonies. And that just, I think, is the the overflow of what God's doing in the growth and people coming to Christ. Uh, we're having a lot of fun, I'll be honest with you. We, we like to have fun. We also just released our brand new worship album called Genesis, an incredible worship album that uh, is uh, just taking off. In fact, we, we're planning a campus in London right now. And before we even had any footprint in London, we have our music on the Christian radio stations in London. And, uh, it's, it's really been a profound season of what God's doing 10 years in now. Uh, a decade in, and we feel like we're just beginning. And, and a wonderful snapshot of what God is doing, not only locally, but globally. And I think there's much that we can draw from that to be to be encouraged. If you want to get more information about Vive Church here in the San Francisco Bay Area, check them out online at vivechurch.org. That's vivechurch.org. Campuses throughout the San Francisco Bay Area. Our appreciation to Pastor Adam Smallcomb for being with us today. Thank you so much for sharing your your heart your enthusiasm is is contagious and i love it and we uh, we congratulate you on the first decade with many many more to come keep up the good work thank you like always well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to KFAX.com. That's KFAX.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time around, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.